was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tortured that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, it seemed impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was, very, was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat. Prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So, Amnon, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the, ch into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she made and brought them into the chamber, and Amnon, sorry, lost my spot there. <laughs> and Tamar took the cakes and, made them and brought them to the chamber, and Amnon, her brother, but when she brought them near to him, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. For as for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools of Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you, me from you. But he would not listen to her. And he was stronger than she. He violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go! But she said to him, No, my brother, this is wrong in sending me away. It is greater than, and greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young men who served him. Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And, the bro and her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And when Dave King David heard of the these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you would speak to us through it today. Lord, be with Mark. I pray you'd bless his study and his preparation. Lord, speak through him to our hearts. Lord, I pray you'd put out all the distractions that we come with. Lord, that we could focus on you in your word, Lord. I pray that everything done here, Lord, would be for your glory and our good. And Lord, I pray that in everything we do, say and how we act, Lord, that we would shine your light to the world around us. In your name, amen.
So, why do we take a book of the Bible and go through it section by section? Well, for quite a few reasons. One is we want to teach the whole counsel of God. Secondly, it's easy for someone in my position to kind of skip over this passage because it's not a pleasant passage to read. In fact, I've had multiple, and I mean multiple people come up to me this week, including this morning, saying, I don't don't like this passage. And I said, sorry, but we're going to go through it because it is the whole counsel of God and it forces us to wrestle with things that we're not comfortable with. This passage, as as uncomfortable as it is, so I, I need to be, be careful what I have to say because I know this is a very sensitive topic when it comes to, uh, especially when it comes to, to rape. The focus is not the rape. It's not. It's there. It's horrific. I'm going to mention it. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but that is not the focus of this passage. It's, it's good to, I mean, we'll talk, talk about it, okay, but don't let the horrific actions of Amnon overwhelm the, over, the overall message of this passage. It's there. Sit in it. Stew on it. Think about it. But go, okay, how does this fit into then what God is trying to say and teach us? This passage is here for a reason. So what I'm saying is, as God's people, let us sit underneath his whole counsel and then go, okay, what is this teaching me about who God is? And what is this teaching me about me in light of who God is? And that's, that's kind of our, our goal this morning, is to ask those questions to, over, over this whole, whole situation. Because it, what happens to Tamar is not the focus. What the point and the focus of this passage is, David's, unfaithfulness, his sin, actually then undermines his power and authority as king. If you look at the title of my message, The Sins of the Father, that's what I'm getting at. And that, that's, that's where we're going we're gonna, to, he is seeing his sins in the lives of his sons. A number of years ago, I was watching a football game, and one of my children, now this was 15, uh, four, uh, 10 years probably ago, 10, 10, 12 years ago, one of my children, in the middle of the game, suddenly started pounding on the coffee table saying, no, 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 and that was the moment that I realized that I had a problem, because my child was simply imitating me. That is the reality that every parent has to face at some point in their lives, right? The actions of the parent, whether righteous or sinful, are seen and repeated by their children. And in David's case, the sins of the father have been passed down to his sons. Different situation. Um, David, there's no indication he actually raped Bathsheba. But it's along those lines of what Amnon does. 
David's sins against Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, and ultimately the Lord, they haven't been as private as David had hoped that they were. And as the reader, we're watching David's sins be repeated in the lives of his children, and the consequences will go far beyond family relationships. It'll bring into question David's power and authority as king. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Amnon's lack of restraint. There is a lot in this passage. There's a lot of really uh, details that we could go into and application of those, those minute details. My goal this morning is to get the overall feeling. So if we don't touch on something in specifically, um, just know that that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get the overall understanding because we don't have time to pick through each and every single one of the the really good details in the lessons, um, if you want to say secondary lessons um, uh, in this passage. So we're going to look at Amnon's lack of restraint and then Absalom's lack of restraint and then the consequences of those, that lack of restraint in both of them. So Amnon's horrific actions against Tamar, they reveal that the apple doesn't fall far, far from the tree. That when David saw Bathsheba on that roof, his own lack of restraint of sinful desires continued him down a path of destruction, which is where he finds him at at this moment. Like David, Amnon entertained the lustful fantasies of his mind. The word is usually he loved his sister, um, Amnon. Yeah, there's no love there. It's all lust. It's all lust. There's no restraint in David. There's no restraint in Amnon. There's no resistance. There's no effort to confess and repent of his sinful thoughts in the moment. And, and Amnon's cousin, um, Jonadab, he, he certainly does not help. Instead of restraining and containing Amnon's sinful passions, Jonadab encourages him to deceive the king and opens the door for Amnon to fulfill his sinful desires. He, st- he puts wire, uh, fire on, uh, wood on the fire and just gets it burning even hotter. Sin has taken hold of Amnon, and it has consumed him. Like David, Amnon's lack of restraint, his entertaining and welcoming of sin, leads him to the path of the violation of a woman. Now when Absalom sees his sister, it's obvious to him as to what Amnon has done. But curiously, Absalom has no outward reaction. Did you see that? Speaking neither good nor bad to Amnon. He just even keeled. And he even tells his sister, Hold your peace. The word, the hold your, in the midst of that, that's what he says to his sister. Have you ever met someone who holds their anger inside until it's too late? You ever met one of those people? No, everything's fine, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden, boom, and it explodes, and you're going like, well, I just asked a simple question. Well, they've been holding that anger in for so long that finally it releases, Absalom lets his anger and hatred fester for two full years. 
He certainly restrains himself physically, but he does nothing to restrain his sinful thoughts and intents, instead, instead waiting for the right opportunity to satisfy his vengeance. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, open it up. 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you've got a Bible app, open it up to that. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 23. For two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not go at all, lest we be, a bur- be burdensome to you. And he pressed him. But he would not go, but gave him his blessing. And then Absalom said, If not, then please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. And then the king arose and tore tore his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab... Interestingly enough, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled. And the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Imahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Two years he held on to his anger. All the time planning, conniving, waiting for the right opportunity. And like David, Absalom's lack of restraint, his entertainment and welcoming of sin leads him to murder. Sin, no matter how small we may see it in our own eyes, sin has consequences. In the case of Amnon's sin, the only innocent party is Tamar. 
She obeys her father and lovingly and willingly cares for her half-brother Amnon, who she really truly believes is sick. She entered that room with her honor and dignity, and she left humiliated and disgraced. She entered that room, a virgin who in that culture would be worthy of marriage and left violated, unworthy of marriage, childless for the rest of her life. This is what it means when it describes her as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. She finds no husband. She has no children. And she feels the disgrace of what her brother did to her. That's a pretty major consequence. Amnon's lust destroyed a life. Another consequence of Amnon's sin was how it affected Absalom. Now, we all have our own choices to make. (laughs) I cannot blame someone else for making me angry. We see this with kids all the time. Why did you hit your brother? He made me. No. He may have been mean to you, but you chose to lash out. So, Amnon made his own choice, or uh, uh, Absalom made his own choice. He let his hatred fester. He did nothing about it. But Amnon's rape of Tamar and his lack of repentance is a fertile ground to grow Absalom's hatred. And eventually this leads to the ultimate consequence of Amnon's murder. So Absalom's choice to sin... And his lack of repentance was fertile ground for Absalom's hatred to just grow and grow and grow in private until eventually it exploded. Now, in the case of Absalom, one obvious consequence is that his festering hatred leads him to murder his brother. But his deceit of David to send Amnon to his death, his fleeing instead of repenting and seeking forgiveness from David, leads to a rift between father and son, all of which eventually leads to Absalom's taking the throne from David by force and the humiliation of the entire nation of Israel. How quickly it just skyrockets. Now, in the case of David, we've already seen the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba. And as the Lord said to him, In chapter 12, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David has seen the consequences of his own sin happen right in front of his eyes. Amnon's death is actually just the first of many deaths by the sword before the end. When David hears of Amnon's despicable and sinful actions against Tamar, he would... Now, the law of God explicitly says that a man who takes his sister and uncovers her naked, moved, just as the foreskin is removed in circumcision, so that individual is to be confront Amnon's sin, and, and he doesn't confront Absalom's. He understands there's something not quite right with Absalom's request for Amnon to come and hang out with him and have a dinner. Now, as a parent, Misha says, when I was a child... And maybe even as adults. So we can all understand, even little kids, you get this. If I can wear down my parent, 
to the point where they're like, fine, whatever you want. Happens all the time in our household. Probably happened all the time growing up for you because you were the one who was like, well, if I ask like a hundred times, finally they'll just say, whatever. That's what, that's what Absalom does. He, he pushes and pushes and pushes and asks. And he presses, it says it presses David so hard over and over and over again until David finally relents and says, okay, fine, fine, just what's the big deal? Okay, just go. But there's something in the back of David's mind that's saying, hmm, what's, what's wrong here? The reality is that David sinfully, sinfully neglects to be a godly father to his children and a godly king to the Lord's people. When a child asks a, the same question a hundred times, I think there's an obsession there. That's a sign that there's a problem. The focus is wrong. David should have caught that, and he should have pursued that more. What's really going on, Absalom? But instead, he neglects to be a godly father. He neglects to be a godly king. And the consequences of this, it begins with rape and murder, and eventually ends up in outright rebellion and even more death. It's not a happy passage. <laughs> it's just not. But in some ways, when we get down to the root of sin, the reason behind it, we may not go as far as Amnon and Absalom or even David, but we get it, do we not? We understand when we let sin fester, when we let anger fester, when we hold um, sin um, and, and so tightly to us and we don't confess it, we don't repent of it, we don't seek wisdom, we don't seek prayer from fellow believers, and we don't, when we don't deal with our sin and we hold it in, it never turns out good. Never. Never. It always affects someone or something around us. Always. There are no private sins. There are no private sins. Well, first of all, God knows all, right? But even more so, there's no private sins in that it affects people around us. It affects our relationship with them. And the case, if we hold on something like, like Absalom did, it affects our relationship with the people around us. So what does this teach us today? What is this? We who are sons and daughters of the King Jesus Christ. We said over and over again, David is a type of Christ. He's appoint us to Christ. And the servants of David are us. He's, they're the servants of the King. We are servants of our King Jesus Christ. And sometimes David is a great example. He's a, he's a good type of Christ. That's, David did this. This was good. Christ is even better. Well, in this case, like with Bathsheba, David is a horrible type of Christ. He misses the mark. And even that is to point us to the best, the better Christ. So what does this teach us? So I'm going I'm to do two things first. How, 
the implications of, of what this passage is pointing us to. The first two are like just basically us, our own hearts. And then the third one is going to be more broad. So first, what is the first implication of this is that God will always provide a way out of temptation. Always. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the reality is that there is nothing special about the temptations that work to overtake us. If a temptation comes in our life, it's not a temptation. Um, There is no temptation that has not been experienced by someone somewhere in history. We are not the first to deal with that type of temptation. And there's nothing that God hasn't already seen in the history of mankind. Nothing surprises him. And yet, though he knows our sin, though he witnesses our sin as we're doing it, he is faithful. If we are children of God, if we are children of the King and servants of the King, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to endure. Now, I need to take a step aside and go, what does that mean? Because that verse is taken out of context all the time. What does it mean that he will never let me be tempted beyond what I can bear? I think is what uh, I think that's the NIV version or the King James version of it. What does that even mean? Well, it doesn't mean that I'm strong enough and I can do it. That's not what that means. What it means is that I can endure by the power of God which resides in me. That's how I endure temptation. That's how I endure fighting sin. By his abiding with and in us as his children, he is always there. That's what it means, abiding in. Abiding doesn't mean he came to visit and he's going to take off for vacation for a while and go back home. Abiding means he lives with us. He's residing in us. He is always around. There is never a time when God is not with his children, ever. He is always there and he is always empowering us to resist temptation and he is always providing a way out of that temptation. There's always a way of escape. In other words, we can overcome temptation by his power in and through us and by no other means. Perhaps we can resist temptation for a short period of time in our own power but eventually we will fall prey. And we all know that. That's not a secret. We know that in our hearts of hearts. The real question is whether we are willing to trust him to fulfill his promise or whether we will be like Amnon and Absalom and then go it alone, do our own thing, seek our own justice if we have been wronged, which is the second implication here. Vengeance is God's, not mine. Vengeance is God's, not mine. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, it's natural for us to seek justice. Is it wrong that Absalom 
wanted to write what happened to his sister? No, that was good. The problem was, is he took it into his own hands instead of bringing it to the king. So we want to right the wrongs that are done to us and to those that, that we love. And should justice not be found quick enough, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. God is a God of justice and will always do what is right. Justice will always be given, even if it means waiting until the end of the age. The Absalom took matters into his own hands. And when he saw that David, the king, did not do his duty as king, did not seek justice for Tamar, he said, fine, I'll do it instead of trusting in the Lord. Well, how often do we fall prey to that same sin? Our society today is filled with vengeance. Filled with it. But as believers, as Christians, we acknowledge justice needs to happen. But we also acknowledge that vengeance is God's, not mine. Vengeance is the Lord's. And the point of that that teaching is to go, if you hold on to anger and you don't give it over to the Lord and let Him take care of it, we will end up like Absalom. And it will affect everything in our lives. Vengeance is God's, not mine. So what can I let go of personally? And what can I give to the king to handle? Well, the third lesson, the third implication, focuses on what this teaches us about Christ. Usually we, sl- we switch, though. I, I switched them today. It's two about, okay, what does this teach us? Now this is, what does this teach us about about Christ? Where David's sins undermined his ability to fulfill his power and authority as king of Israel, Christ's sinless faithfulness gives him the power and authority as the king of all creation. That's Revelation chapter 5, which we read last week. He even says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. All authority has been given to me. Well, why? Because he was faithful. He was faithful to his father's wishes. He was a faithful king to the Lord. Psalm 103, 11 through 13 tells us that for those who fear the Lord, those who are reverent towards to the Lord, those who, who submit themselves before him, those who those who put themselves under the authority of Christ and they repent of their sins and they believe in Christ for salvation, Psalm 103 says that all of those sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are removed from God as far as the east is from the west. And though we have earthly consequences to our sins, God doesn't hold our sins against us and our eternal salvation is secure. It's secure. 
all because of Christ's faithfulness and his power and his authority as the anointed king of the Lord. Our confidence is not found in us, our ability to resist temptation, our ability to fight sin, our ability to do the right thing, our ability to save ourselves from the wrath of God for our sinful rebellion against him. We try to do that on our own. Like I said, we end up like Absalom. And we fight against the king and we rebel against the king. But if we repent, if we go to him, if we lay everything at his feet, trusting that he will take care of it, even if I never see it happen. Those who fear the Lord are secure in Christ. But there's another side to that coin. If it was the sins of those who fear him, then he holds the sins of those who do not fear him. He holds them against them. God has fixed a day on which Christ will return and judge the world in righteousness. Now, we talk about justice for us and we are wronged. We want justice. As believers or as human beings, we need to understand that we have sinned against God and He demands justice. He demands it. Unlike David, David didn't demand justice. He just got angry and then held his tongue. Christ does not do that. The day will come when we will be held accountable On that day, while those who fear him will find refuge in his arms, those who do not fear him will be held accountable for their sinful rebellion against him, and they will receive their due wage. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Christ has been given all authority in heaven and earth. His faithfulness in fulfilling the desires of the Father by giving himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, that gives him the power and authority as king to rule over us, to be judge over us. And so if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you stand and you say, Amen. Thank you, God. Open my eyes. Open my eyes to see the way of escape when temptation comes. Give me the power to come to you when sin is overtaking me. And help me to rest in your loving and caring arms that you don't hold those sins against me. Thank you, God. But if you have yet to believe If you are not a child of God, then hear these words, judgment is coming. Justice will come. And the only way to escape the wrath of God is to repent of your sinful rebellion against Him. Bask in the grace and the love of God and the forgiveness of your sins. No other authority, nothing else has the authority that Christ has. Only He, only He has the authority to save. Only God does that. 
And so where David failed, Christ succeeded. David's sin overwhelmed him. Christ resisted and won. Where David was an unfaithful husband, where David was a failure as a father, Christ, as our groom, is always faithful. And he never fails us. He never, ever fails us. So can we stand in the beauty of that, stand in the joy of that, stand in the truth of that, even in the midst of whatever horrible circumstances you're in in your life right now, to stand as God's people and say, God, you are my God and I trust in my King because you will take care of it. You will handle it. Strengthen me. Empower me by you and by your Spirit within me because I know you will never leave me. Never leave me. And so I stand and trust you in your presence. Father, I, I ask, I ask that whatever is happening in our heart, whatever ha- is happening in our minds, that we would, we would stand in your presence. God, that we would, we would see the, the perfection of your Son, the ability of your Son, the authority and the power of your Son over our sin. We thank you, Father, that through your Son, our sins are forgiven. They are not held against us. And unlike David, Father, you deal with sin immediately, even in your children. And we praise you for that, Father. And if, we were, if we're overwhelmed by sin as your people, empower us to fight that, to fight those temptations. And we pray that if, if Father, there are people here or listening who do not know you, do not fear you, are not your children, that you would stir their hearts, that you would drive them to repentance and receive the joy that comes from being your child. The forgiveness of sins by your grace, by your mercy, and by your love. We praise you, Father, that that all authority is given to you All authority is given to your Son as our King. And we can trust in His faithfulness to do as He promised. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand?